0: Hello and welcome to the parting shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. At the age that I am now, my mother had already had four kids and two marriages. I, on the other hand, have no children and I'm not married. And this scenario is turning out to be not so unique for many people. So many of my friends are also skipping out on many of the things our parents' generation valued so much, things like stability, the same job for a number of years, kids, all of those things. Why is this happening? I mean, I'll be honest, the idea of me as a parent is laughable. I barely feel like an adult on most days. I mean, I pay for things like an adult does, and I do adult things. Get your mind out of the gutter. But am I really adulting? I don't know. I don't know if I am. I still call my mother when I need help figuring things out. I mean, I feel like there's this perpetual adolescence in my life, particularly in the things that I do and enjoy. I recently asked my mother if she felt this way when she was my age. Her response? No. A big, resounding no. Turns out, you know, there's something about four boys running around a really small house that will definitely make you feel like an adult. (laughs) Well, fortunately, I'm not alone in feeling this way. In fact, the actor and author, Andrew Rannells, wrote a book all about it. In the book titled Uncle of the Year, Andrew writes about all the uncertainties of adulthood and asks the important question, when will we ever get there? He writes about work and aging and mental health and bad jobs and so much more. Now, you might know him from the TV show Girls or the Broadway musical Book of Mormon, but after reading this book, you'll probably have the same reaction I did. This guy gets me. So go on and grab a snack because I'll be right back with Andrew Reynolds to talk about his new book, Uncle of the Year.
1: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure
0: you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I have to say, I loved the book and I loved it because it sort of echoes Kind of everything that I've been talking about these past few years with friends and just professionally, that there is this sort of like prolonged sort of adolescence. You know what I mean? That that our generation, because you and I are around the same age, our generation is experiencing in that, like, you never really feel like you're grown up compared to where our parents were at
1: our age. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally, yeah. And my siblings, I have you know three sisters and a brother that all have sort of a more uh, I would say traditional track in terms of like you know getting married and having kids and and yeah, that's sort of a it's sort of on a very different timeline, especially in New York City um, and Los Angeles. I would say oh, definitely. Well, I mean, really
0: any sort of major city, you you see that happening. I mean, I see it with all my huh? friends, even some of my straight friends, where they're living these lives that are just so unlike the lives of their parents. Why do you think? we're particularly sort of like the millennial generation and maybe the one right after it, we're going in sort of that direction of these sort of unique lives.
1: Um, I mean, I think everything takes, well, I don't want to say everything takes a little longer. I think that people Uh, I certainly took a little more time to sort of figure out what exactly it was I wanted to do. Now, my path in terms of like acting is obviously very specific, but Mm -hmm. the, you know, the days of, you know, going to college or not going to college and getting a job right away that you sat in for 20 30 years yeah that doesn't really happen anymore yeah. um or it's very rare if it happens mm-hmm. so i think that kind of has a lot to do with it too so there's a lot more sort of searching time that is built in and it's sort of you know and for you know for better or for worse it sort of allows people to sort of find what is it that actually does make you happy and sort of what is it you know what do you want your life to look like and you have a little i think we all have I certainly felt that I had um, more space to sort of figure that out. I didn't Mm -hmm. have to rush into something, you know, right away at 22 or 21 or something.
0: I mean, the job part of it, I think, is probably one of the most fascinating things since like really since September 11, like since that era, we don't stay in the same job since for, for years and years like our parents did. And I mean, you write about this in the book, but how do you think like you navigating this sort of world is sort of like trying all these different things and experience and learning how to be the person you want to be, even though maybe you're never quite there. Maybe you'll never be there. Who knows? But like, how do you think that shapes
1: sort of how you do your work? I mean, I think, you know, particularly with acting, it's very rare to find yourself in one job for a long period of time. It's piecing together sort of year to year, what your year looks like. And if you're lucky, you know, on Broadway, I was very lucky that, you know, I got to be a part of shows for a year at a time, mm-hmm. which is pretty rare. Yeah, um, It's pretty rare. And even with like, you know, with girls, we, we, we filmed girls for six seasons, mm-hmm. which is a pretty long, That's a long stint of yeah. knowing that I had that job every year, but then there was still, you know, eight months out of the year that I was like sort of left to my own devices to Yeah, sort of, To sort of piece that together, so um, I think that is part of you know part of the business that I'm in. That's always kind of going to be the situation is that you're always sort of cobbling together. Like, well, what are the next few months look like, or what does the next year look like? And there's a lot of obviously a lot of excitement to that. Yeah, um, that you can kind of you know you I you know you're constantly reevaluating. What you'd like to do, what opportunities are being presented to you, Um, even, you know, doing something like writing this book. I was very uh, in the first book as well. I was I was very fortunate that I had the time to really devote to that and know in the future, I'm going to be going back, you know, going back to work and have yeah. a, you know, sort of a more structured job. But to have time built in to work on something like this was a real gift. Yeah,
0: definitely. And you also become really good at hobbies. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: yes, yeah. yes.
0: That's lots of yes. time for hobbies. I feel like I have lots of time uh, for hobbies. <laughs> lots of time. Yeah. What are what are your hobbies? I love a Lego moment. That's always nice. Oh, okay. I, love, I love a I love a makeup moment. I'm a big shopper. My boyfriend and I are big window shoppers, so that's a <clears> big thing. <throat> Is that really a hobby, though? I don't think that's a hobby.
1: I mean, that's kind of a hobby. I mean, you're you're shopping for ideas. Yeah, right? that's
0: true. And ideas of things I can't purchase because I'm <laughs> not working. But yes, still it's an aspirational <laughs> hobby. Yes, definitely. Well, <laughs> one of the other things you talk about in your book that I thought was so just poignant and interesting and just really hit me is that idea of sort of like acting in the success, like you're acting you're adulting in a way that you're trying to project this level of sort of like I'm put together, I'm successful, I'm navigating life in this way. And I think social media has a big, is a big culprit for why we act that way in this day and age. But how has that sort of like impacted the adult you are and how does it, do you think it's good or bad that we're doing that?
1: Um, you mean in terms of like the comparison of, you know, yes. what we sort of hold ourselves to. I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's dangerous. I think that it's, um, it's something that I certainly struggled with very early in my career and still struggle with that. You you kind of can't help compare yourself to other people and what other people have. And, and some of that is great. And, and, you know, some of it keeps you motivated and keeps you ambitious and focused and, but if taken too far It is it just it leaves you feeling never satisfied Mm -hmm. and also often bad about yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, what I what I started to learn in my 30s was that I can only do what I do. I can only Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, as much as I'd like to say that I'm like. You know, I'm an actor who, you know, has lots of facets and and, and growing. And yes, some of that is true. But, you know, for the most part, like, you know, you're you're you have a set of skills that you sort of you know, if you're lucky, you, you succeed at, and they're not going to be right for everything. They're not going to be right for every job. Mm -hmm. So I had to sort of make peace with that, that like, I'm not going to get everything as much as I would like to be offered all the jobs. Um, That's simply not the case. And sometimes it, you know, it's not going to be a great fit for you anyway. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the comparison thing, I mean, I, I, I feel very fortunate that there was, there was not social media when I was a kid, and I already know how stressful it was sort of looking around me and seeing what other people were doing and feeling competitive and feeling jealous. And um, so now to have it, uh, it's, you know, it's hard as an adult to sort of face that. So for young people who are you know looking at their phones or looking at a computer and and seeing all these things you and I know are yeah. mostly fabricated or produced in a way like it's hard to explain that to, to kids, especially young kids, to be like, that's not. Real, yeah, that's, they're they're working really hard to make it look like everything is perfect, and, yeah. and hopefully that's something that you know kind of gets in over time. But I know I've watched me nieces, nephews, and my my boyfriend's kids sort of sort of struggle with that to be like, I want that and I want to look like that. And I want to, I want what they have. And it's, it's, um it's sort of a, it's a tricky time certainly to be a, a young person. It seems.
0: Oh, definitely. And also too, just the idea of like, I have a friend who, whenever he doesn't get something or doesn't get cast or doesn't get the job or whatever it is. And, he, he makes it very personal about himself. It becomes this sort of like, I'm, I'm the problem. And I'm, I always am sort of the one to being like, you know what? You're kind of a piece of shit. It's not about you. It, <laughs> it really it has nothing to do with you. It's not a reflection on you. Don't don't. Cause
1: that's the most vain response ever that I'm the problem. You know, yeah, I'm the problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's somehow it's personal. And especially again, like, in any sort of artistic, um, you know, profession, it's mostly not personal. Yeah, it's really just comes down to, you know, decisions made that have very little to do sometimes with your skill set.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, the other thing about kids, so like the way you wrote about sort of wanting children, not having kids, that sort of navigation, and then of course ending up with someone who has kids. It's such an interesting sort of navigation because like i feel like a lot of especially queer men specifically i think experience this in a different kind of way where like there's so much out there that says oh well now we have these options we have these options out here that we can have these quote-unquote traditional lives but i don't want it i don't i don't i don't want it so am i bad for not wanting it to not fitting in like there's
1: that i definitely feel that did you ever feel that Oh, so totally, yeah, and it was. You know, I'm 44, and a lot of my friends in their 20s. It, you know, at the age where you know my siblings or my you know f- you know friends that I went to high school with in the Midwest were starting families. That nobody was doing that around mm-hmm. me, gay or straight, quite frankly. Yeah, um, but certainly the gay men that I knew were not starting families. And that really only started in like, for me personally, I know it's been happening for a long time, but in my friend group, probably like in the last decade, all Mm. of a sudden it seems like everyone's having children. (laughs) And, you know, I look at people that I, you know, maybe know a little bit on Instagram or something. It's like, Oh, they have a baby now Yeah, (laughs) that they're having a child. Okay. (laughs) Um, Great. But that was just never on my radar. And I talk about it, in, in this book in uncle of the year that like, in a lot of ways, my career was a, you know, a version of my child. It was the Mm -hmm. thing that I focused on and those jobs were really important to me and sort of became all encompassing. And, and I was spending a lot of my time, most of my time focused on that. So the idea of, of starting a family never really entered into my mind it was never really on the it wasn't on the schedule yeah yeah
0: yeah definitely well so then what happened when you met this person who had children and like how i mean you write about in the book but for people listening how did you process that what was that like that's so interesting to me uh
1: you know it was very unexpected i met tuck when we were doing boys in the band and he had you know, he has two kids and they're, they're twins at the time. They were five and didn't really spend a ton of time with them before we started dating. But then about a year after we did the show on Broadway and we were filming the the, the film version for Netflix, that's when we started dating. And um, so then I was spending a lot of time with them. And, yeah, it was you know, it was a very it was a different my relationship to the kids in my life was, was the uncle. I was the uncle from out of town. I have 10 nieces and nephews. Um, I would, you know, common for holidays and things like that, or they would come to visit me if I was in a show and it was a much more limited um, exposure. Yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. To the kids. It was entertaining them. It was getting to be like the you fun to be uncle. showy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, but actually the day to day of spending time, with kids was a big adjustment because yeah. you, you know the uncle tricks don't work long term when you're <laughs> yeah. Yeah. helping a kid do you get ready for school or go to bed or making dinner like those are mm. very different skills than being the fun uncle
0: yeah it's just i i mean i have such a i definitely am the fun mysterious gay uncle living far <laughs> away from my nieces and nephews and My brothers will send me pictures of the kids. I mean, kids are adorable, sure. But how many times can you say, oh, cute? Like, I definitely, I'm in that place where I'm struggling to be like, do I have to keep fawning
1: over this kid who looks like a kid? Kind of, yeah. I mean, I think that's (laughs) an expectation, right? I guess so. I I know, I feel the same. Like, there's only so many different ways to be like, what a cutie. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, there's a language, I
0: think, that like, I, as an, the adult that I am and in the world that I live, I have never learned how to communicate with a child. So like I communicate with a child like I would be communicating to like one of my high friends who's 26 years old or something like that's basically yeah. how I'm talking to them, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, I, I mean, I tell the story in, in the book that. This was many, many years ago. My, he's now 19, but my nephew, I think, was around five or six when he visited. Um, he was in New York City. We're, you know, traipsing him all over the place, seeing different things. He's tired. He got tired. It's a, you know, Manhattan is a walk-in town. And this little kid was tired of walking. And my brother and sister-in-law were about half a block ahead of me. And I was walking with him. His name is Nathan. And Nathan decided he was tired and he laid down in a crosswalk and i could not get him to stand and his mom and dad are now many feet in front of me and i was trying to get him to stand up and i didn't want to just like drag him because that also seemed strange and what i resorted to is i said nathan don't be an asshole like please get up yeah did he respond oh good and then we walked in silence for a while and we caught up with his parents and he said uncle andy just called me an asshole (laughs) I was like, well, I guess I need to work on on communication skills. I've definitely
0: had the call. I said a joke to one of my brothers, not knowing a child was nearby. And it happened to be about a certain politician that I won't name. And the kid then went and repeated that joke at school, which then resulted in the phone call home from, it was a funny joke though. I mean, mean, the teachers probably liked it deep deep down, they probably did. So like, has being with someone with children sort of changed your outlook of the future of if maybe you want to get kids to you and I have another kid? Do you, I mean, has that like has anything changed in sort of your outlook of your new adult future?
1: No, um, no. I, I mean, I definitely I've always known it's difficult. I've always felt um, lucky that, you know, it's something that is queer people and as a gay man that like wasn't something I was just going to accidentally fall into. I wasn't going to accident. You know, I wasn't going to like unexpectedly be pregnant and wind up with a child. Yeah. So it's definitely something you have to sort of, you know, plan for and decide you want. And um, yeah, I don't think I would want to start. You know, it, 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 I I love spending time with them, and I love you know it, the the relationship that we've developed. But do I want to run out and get my own baby? No, 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 no yeah. Same, same. No.
0: One of the things that I kept thinking about this is something I think about often, which I think you know you could relate to is in reading your book and sort of navigating, especially as a gay man, this sort of like new reality of being an adult gay man in this world and how. Every generation before us kind of not even just with gay people, just in general, every generation has a generation that they can look to to think of examples and stuff. And we don't really have a lot of that because of the AIDS epidemic. And there is this sort of like trauma that happened with the generation before us that we don't have a lot of these lessons. So I wonder, I mean, you didn't write about this, of course, but like I want to I want to know, have you ever considered that? Have you ever thought about sort of the impact that that's had on who we are as adults as we navigate sure. as adults.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, as a kid um, watching TV, the sort of gay representation that was available was largely, it was either gay clown yeah, um, or it was someone who was sick. Mm hmm. Um, because that's what was happening in the world. And so it was a, they were pretty narrow lanes as a, as a young kid seeing like, well, what is my path as a gay man Mm -hmm. and my family, while we knew some gay people and I did a lot of community theater as a kid in Nebraska that like, I, you know, there was a lot of gay people around. Um, There weren't, uh, there weren't a ton of examples. I didn't, I didn't necessarily see myself reflected back in that way. Yeah, um, and there, you know, as you said, there was this this huge, you know, sort of worldwide crisis going on mm-hmm. that very much seemed targeted at homosexual men. Yeah, that I was like, well, is that the future? Is that is that going to be my future? And certainly, my early dating life and sex life in New York, even you know in the late nineties, um, that was still something that was very much talked about. And it doesn't, you know, to me, it doesn't seem that long ago. But um, you know, when I see. Guys at that same age in their early twenties you know in the city, like that is not necessarily a part of their yeah. consciousness now, yeah. and that's you know less than a generation apart mm-hmm. um, I remember going to see the inheritance on Broadway, mm-hmm. a Matthew Lopez play a few yeah. years ago, and sitting with um sitting around a lot of young people who really for the, you know, at least in the conversations that I had with some of these folks after the show, who I didn't know, this was the first time they were really hearing about the AIDS crisis in that way. And, you know, having grown up with it and growing up with, you know, with Angels in America and Jeffrey and, 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 you know, stories like that, that, you know, I, I felt like that was just something that everybody knows about, right? Yeah. But there's a whole generation of, of young, especially young gay men that, that maybe didn't know that and weren't aware of that. And in a way, you know, some of it is good that that's, there's the, not the fear and the panic about that that yeah. there was when I was a kid. But, um, certainly the history is still important and learning yeah. about it and understanding that that's a part of our culture is, I think, Really crucial.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's huge. I remember watching The Birdcage and seeing Nathan Lane. I was a kid. I was 12, 13, and I literally was like, oh, I think I'm seeing my future. Like, I literally, <laughs> I literally think I'm seeing the person that I will be as an adult, and it terrified me. It terrified me. And then In now, terms of sort of the flamboyance yeah, of it? Yeah, because there's no yeah. way he could fit in. There's no way he could be a normal human being in the world, in the, in the real world, you know? And now... I literally am that person in a lot of ways in both sort of like how I perform and how I talk and how I my friend group and stuff. And I'm like, oh, actually, it's not so bad. It's actually worked out pretty yeah. well for me. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of a yeah. nice it's a nice thing to grow into that, to see your adult self as a kid and then grow into it in a way.
1: And I feel like I just um, recently saw the the Birdcage on an airplane that mm. I was on, and I love that movie. And I think those you know those performances are so great. And Mike Nichols is I just love him. Yeah. But um, but I kind of wish there was like an additional like thirty minutes of yeah. that movie yeah. of just Nathan Lane and that character really just getting to be like. And this is really how it works. Yeah. And I'm not going to pretend to be this person. And we are like I just want like a sequel to it yes. to show. And it's fine. Everything is great. Yeah. Everything worked out great. Yeah. But, you know, where it ends is just sort of the moment of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um. But, yeah, I could use like a sequel to The Bird I agree. Dish, a, um, limited not, yes. a limited series. A
0: limited series on Prime of just Nathan Lane. Yeah, yeah, right? I could see that. Yeah. Well, I have two more questions for you. So yes, after reading the book, and this is something that I think about a lot, where do you see... Like, I always think, you know, the, the way you write about sort of our generation and sort of figuring out how to be an adult and kids and all of the things and our futures and not wanting kids and not wanting to get together and all these things. Where do you think that'll have us be when we're senior citizens? Because I can't imagine our generation is like 70 year olds walking around on Instagram doing lives. Maybe. Maybe. I don't
1: know. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Who knows what social media will look like. Then, yeah. if it, you know, or what that's going to be. Sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I write about it a little bit. I mean, I, there's a chapter in my book about volunteering with SAGE, yeah. which is this really a great, great organization, organization here For in Los Angeles or in New York. It's in New York, right? Yes, it's in New York. And I, you know, I was paired with a couple of, you know, older gay gentlemen to sort of, you know, I don't know, just sort of hang out and like help them with things. And and one of the things that, you know, I write about in that essay was that I helped them both find porn on their computers because they had just gotten these computers and both of them separately were like, how do I find that pornography on the computer? So while part of it was a little like, well, that's sort of sad. That that's what I'm here for. But at the same time, um, I was like sort of encouraged by the fact that, like, ah, well, this doesn't really change. Like, he's yeah. just still looking. Like, how do I log into Sean Cody yeah. on yeah. on my new computer? Yeah. And if I could help with that, and he's still, you know, and you know, eighty whatever, still wanted to look at porn. I was like, all right, well, I guess that's my service here. <laughs> I mean, I figure that out. There's something sort of comforting about as much things, as much as things change. They don't
0: really change. No, no. So maybe maybe there's something I don't know about bright in our future, but maybe it'll just Ah. be the same. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what we'll be looking for. Well, so the outside of the book, the book is fantastic. But I got really excited about you and Josh Gad coming back to Broadway for Gutenberg, the musical. I have always said this ever since I saw you both in the book of Mormon original show. I I lived in New York then, and it was incredible. And I thought this since then. And then when this show got announced, I immediately was like, Oh, well I'm right. I've always thought that you and him together are kind of the Nathan Lane, Matthew Broderick from the producers era. You have that sort of dynamic that creates Uh great musical theater. So like, Well, thank
1: you. That's very, that's very complimentary.
0: What, how excited
1: are you for this show? And
0: when does it start?
1: Yeah, very, very excited. We start previews in September. We'll open in October. Um, I'm really excited about it. You know, Josh and I have... We have not worked together like this since the Book of Mormon. Um, I've been lucky to go back to Broadway many times since then, but Josh and I, you know, have not had this chance. So to get to do this twelve years later, and that it's just the two of us, mm-hmm. just sort of messing around, um, I'm really excited. And with Alex Timbers, who's a director we both sort of chased for a long time and have wanted to work with, so the fact that he's directing it, we finally wore him down um, <laughs> to find a project for us was a uh, is. Is really exciting um and i you know i take that as a a real compliment um because i think that you know when the book of mormon did come out those comparisons were definitely made not only with you know josh and i but with the you know the show sort of in general that it was all of a sudden the book of mormon was the show that you know los angeles was talking about and sometimes that's a little hard to achieve Mm -hmm. um with a Broadway show, it doesn't always like trickle into the mainstream like yeah. guts let alone get across the country to LA. So the fact that we, you know, got to, got to experience that. And a lot of, you know, it really launched our careers in a, in a, you know, really exciting way. So to get to go back to do this with him in New York on Broadway is, um, is really thrilling. So yeah. I can't wait to dive in. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm slowly remembering sort of some of Josh's antics <laughs> from, um, from the Book of Mormon days. So I, I really have to mentally prepare myself for getting back into bed with him as it were. Well, I, I enjoy
0: that. I, I have to say one of the th- I loved the Book of Mormon, but I was raised Mormon. I know oh. I'm I no longer was a Mormon, but it was the question. I would get constantly asked every single day, "In your have you seen the Book of Mormon? Have you seen the Book ah. of Mormon?" Every time someone found out I was raised Mormon, it became so. It kind of became annoying after a while, but yeah, no, you know, I'm sure. But it was a great musical, so I embrace it, and so did a wow. lot of Mormons. So there you go. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. Well, well th- I'm glad. It, I'm glad it didn't let your
1: people down. It's ultimately, you know, it d- does have a lot to do with Mormonism, but ultimately is I think sort of a. Um, it's pretty positive yes. to the Mormons. Let's be honest. Yeah.
0: There Not my people anymore, but I don't know. I'm sure they enjoy it. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for
1: taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. I really, uh, yeah. And I hope you can come see Gutenberg. And thanks for chatting with me about Uncle of the Year.
0: So, do you feel like Andrew and I do? Follow me at HL and Scott on everything and let's have a chat about it. And I'll also leave a link to Andrew's book in this episode's show notes. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. I hope you're able to leave a little rating and review wherever you're listening. And subscribe to my newsletter. It's great. It's called For the Culture. Just go to Newsweek.com and do that. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day.